when it comes to heating up your business, it's all about making more bacon. And that requires an expert with a particular set of skills. You need a Baconologist. Building authentic connections, online networking, through social selling, relationship marketing, mindset and training. Yeah, that's bacon. Get ready, because we're about to fry up a sizzling success strategy. This is the Bacon Podcast with your host and business Baconologist, Brian Basilico. It's a lot of bees, man. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Brian Basilico, and this is the podcast where you learn to make your business sizzle online. So are you ready to fry up some new business? Hey, peeps, I am uber excited. Today, we're going to be talking with a great person who's going to help us understand how to fill some of our talent gaps if we have them. Her name is Jackie Lentini, and she is a business employment and immigration attorney. And the reason I think this is really important is because... You know, if you cannot find the talent that you need here, you can get them from overseas. But there are some challenges with that. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So, Jackie, how are you doing? Just fine. Glad to be here with you. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming. Anyways, what I like to do is get my audience to know you since this is your first time on the show. And I want them to know how did you go from babysitting a bunch of kids playing Dungeons and Dragons to basically helping companies navigate this medieval system of caverns of immigration law and stuff that they got to think about? (laughs) Well... I went to um, undergrad and then became really interested in studying foreign languages. And I think when I studied abroad in Italy, that was also a time frame that got me interested in the ideas of borders. Um, I do speak Italian fluently. And I was drawn to law for the order and system that the letter of the law allows. But also, I really enjoy the people side of law. So immigration allows for that area where you can really help other people and you get to meet them and see them. They're not just a contract to deal with, like in other areas of law. Awesome. So the bottom line is companies are bringing people over. This has been going on forever. This is nothing new. And... A lot of these people coming over are, you know, usually in the technology, IT, biotech, you know, they usually have some kind of, you know, skill that is uh, needed here in the U.S. And obviously there's a system to go through. But I think, you know, the last couple of years, I assume, have been a bigger challenge because of the whole pandemic, the closing of the borders and all that other stuff. Has that been what you've seen? Absolutely. I like to say that. Immigration is affected primarily by politics and the economy. So when we have a recession, everybody gets scared about immigrants taking our jobs. Um, When we have uh, like uh, our past President Bush, who was not so hot on immigration, we see the tightening of um, the border in terms of who is allowed in. And then certainly something completely unexpected like the pandemic has put a damper on immigration as well. Right. But, you know, the one thing that we do know is we import everything from around the world, right? I mean, you know, stuff from China, Vietnam, Italy, uh, you know, Bulgaria. It, It doesn't matter. We're always importing things. So importing talent is kind of natural. It just is different because it's people. So today, let's talk about 
if a company wants to work with somebody, you know, why wouldn't they just, you know, go on Zoom and bring them over on Zoom? What would be the problem with that? Oh, that's a that's the million dollar question in my area of law. Um, so what happens is there is no immigration issue if a company is employing someone abroad. The problem is that they may, if it's a small company, they may be creating a corporate presence in that country and then face taxation issues that they were not aware of. And especially if you're talking about European countries, the tax laws will be much different and a lot more expensive than a, a company is ready to deal with. It may not be such a big problem if you're talking about a multinational company, but that's, that's not the scenario you're mentioning. Um, so when I explain that to employers, they usually shy away. And, and the flip side is also true. I had an employer contact me a while ago saying, oh, I have an employee who wants to move to Germany and continue to work from us for us over there. Is that okay? Well, there's no immigration issue from my standpoint, but there would be a German immigration issue. And also the company, which is here in Chicago, is now creating uh, a corporate presence in Germany uh, just because of one person. And that might not be something that they want to do. Totally makes sense. So it's a little more complicated than just going to Zoom networking, obviously. <laughs> We're not quite at the time of, you know, open borders yet. That, <laughs> there are still barriers in place. Right. And not only just here, but everywhere else, obviously. Mm -hmm. yes. So so let's get into the meat and potatoes of this. If you're going to bring somebody over, it's obviously not as simple as jumping on a Zoom meeting. I mean, they have to fly over and there's certain hoops they have to go through. So let's start off with if you're thinking about bringing somebody over, let's say, from Israel to work in your company, what are the first things that somebody has to think about? How do they have to plan for this? Well, you need time. So we need time to figure out the proper visa category. And we're assuming that the person will meet one of the category requirements for an H-1B or an L-1, which is probably two of the most um, popular ones in, in this situation for an Israeli national. And then we have to jump through those requirements, file the petition with immigration, that's the USCIS agency here in the US. And that can take three months or more. Um, if it's done with premium processing, we can cut the processing time down to three weeks. And then the person would have the approval document they need to go get a visa stamp um, in Israel, so possibly in, in Tel Aviv. And then, so roughly the process takes about how long from start to finish? Say you're trying to get somebody to come over and they have to go through all of that. How far in advance should they plan? It's a lot longer than hiring someone here in the U.S. I would say, you know, three to six months is a good average range because there are things that can go wrong in the meantime. So once we file the petition with immigration, they may not approve it right away. They may come back and ask us questions that we have to respond to first. And then we also have the pandemic, which we haven't mentioned yet, which has really thrown a monkey wrench into the visa process. So the foreign nationals have to apply for a U.S. visa stamp at the embassy or consulate in their home country. 
And we're still seeing embassies and consulates that are, are closed across the world. Um, there's, there's backlogs, even though travel just opened up this week for entry into the US, it hasn't um, affected the backlog at the US embassies and consulates. So they're still hurting for resources. The, they're not at complete staffing levels that they were prior to the pandemic. We've seen a lot of resources around the world through the Department of State and, and the running of the consulates that were pulled to help the Afghani crisis. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really um, the best thing to, to know is that it, it's going to take a long time. I just had a client tell me this morning she wanted to go home to the UK for Christmas and she can't get an appointment before May. So that gives you a sense of the backlogs that we're facing right now. Okay. So we've gone through the process three to six months, obviously, and now they're here, right? They're coming over, they get on the plane, they show up, and so they come in. So now there's another set of processes that you have to go through with somebody to get them onboarded, right? Yeah, this would depend on the sophistication of the company and, and the HR and how much handholding they want for us. But that person who arrives here, they're not going to have a social security number. So they have to be guided in, in doing that. Um, they need to somehow establish credit here because getting a credit card in the US without credit history is quite challenging. Um, they have to complete the Form I-9 or uh, if the company uses E-Verify, go through all the compliance hoops to show that they're work authorized. And those things can be challenging depending on the type of visa they enter the U.S. with. So there is a process that you have to plan in order, you know, they just don't show up and you walk them to their desk and, you know, life begins, right? I mean, they have to get settled, they have to get acclimated, and there's certain things that you've got to do and have some patience with, obviously. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So then from that point forward, let's say this person is working great right and they've i don't know what the visa terms are or things of that nature but let's say they stay let's say it's two years and you want to keep them four years i mean what's what's involved in keeping an employee here and also you know while we're on that topic what if somebody doesn't work out how do you get rid of them <laughs> well let's start with that one so i just had an employee um, called me this morning and said that their H-1B foreign national gave notice. So she knew to ask the right questions. Is there anything that the company that he was employed with has to do? And yes, there is. They have, the company has to notify the Department of Labor and Immigration that this person is no longer at their company. And that's a regulatory obligation by the employer. Um, the H-1B visa has an annual cap of 85000 And so by withdrawing the petition, they're throwing his number back in the hat. It helps immigration keep track of all that. So that's what happens when a company um, has someone who decides to leave their employment. On the flip side, if the employer wants to let someone go, it's, it's really an at-will situation the way we have in Illinois. So the company can do that. Um, they just have to be aware that depending on the visa category, it would allow the foreign national very little time to stay in the US in terms of a grace period after their employment ends so that they can find other 
um, employment. So it may take a little planning um, if a company is going to let someone go just for the human piece to be nice to them, to help them either pack up their affairs and leave the country or to allow a little bit of time for them to find another job. So what happens if somebody works out really good and you want to keep them? What do you have to think about or what do you have to do? That's a good question. And that's the most likely situation we end up having is that a company has a foreign national. The person is really grateful to be here, such a hard worker. I don't know how many times I hear employees say, this is the best person in you know whatever the financial analyst role we've ever had. We want to do whatever we need to do to keep them. So in that case, depending on the visa category, they would need to extend after um, either like the one or the three-year mark to extend their stay. And depending on the visa, um, they could be here like an H-1B, which is the most popular for a total of six years in the U.S., um, or an L-1A is seven, and L-1B is five years. And then the employer would need to start thinking about the green card process at that extension mark if they want to keep the person here long-term beyond those maximum stays that the visa allows. So when we're talking about the green card process, what does that mean? We hear about them all the time, but what's the difference between a visa and a green card? A visa allows uh, a foreign national to stay here temporarily. So it's for a specific employer for a specific length of time. And it usually can't be extended beyond that maximum time frame that's permitted under the visa category. That's why if the employer knows they want to keep them long-term, they would look to keep them on the green card. And the green card would allow them to be here permanently, but it also gives the individual the freedom to change their job. They, they could be self-employed. Um, they're not tied to a specific employer on the green card. A green card is not the same as being a U.S. citizen. If they committed a crime, they could still end up um, you know, being... Uh, asked to leave the U.S., but um, in most cases, the green card process is something that an employer is willing to do for a hardworking foreign national. And there are many different types of green cards based on employment, but the most common one is when the employer has to test the U.S. labor market to make sure that there is no U.S. worker who is willing, um, ready, and, and available for the position. Totally makes sense. So normally I ask for success stories, and obviously you have a lot of them. But what I'd really like to ask you about is what are some of the most interesting types of jobs you've helped people get over here in the U.S. or, or bring over? Okay, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, most of my um, occupations tend to be around IT professionals or manufacturing um, specialists. But the ones that um, are a little bit out there that are totally enjoyable to do is um, my first example is an acupuncturist. So I um, obtained an H-1B and a green card for a Chinese medicine doctor. Another one is uh, we did um, the visa for a band from the UK to come here to perform at an event for a company, their annual corporate event for all of their customers and employees. And so the standard for 
uh, a band that's not famous like on the top 40 charts, but still has an international presence is somewhat different. And then my last example would be getting an H-1B and a green card for a Chilean winemaker here in the U.S. And it wasn't for someone in Napa Valley, which makes it even more interesting. Hmm. That's quite an array of people. I love the band story because you, you don't even think about that. Somebody coming from the UK to do a, a tour doesn't necessarily need a visa. They need a passport, which is different, right? So, no, they need a visa. They they apply for a P visa. Yeah. Oh, they do. So, a band. So, any bands coming from overseas that perform in the U.S. need a visa, not just a, a passport. That's right. But if they're famous, they would apply under the O one, which is for outstanding people, outstanding ability, but. If they're, you know, kind of like minor level, <laughs> hmm. they still have certain criteria they have to go through, but it's kind of like for a minor league baseball player. See, that's why I love doing this podcast, because I learn something new every day. <laughs> that's awesome. So, Jackie, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. And if people wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. They could reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, so you can find me under Jacqueline Lentini. Or my website, lentinivisas.com, email and, and phone are also just as good. Awesome. Well, Jackie, thanks for coming on and dropping some sizzling hot bacon knowledge bombs on my peeps. I appreciate you and your time and your info that you shared, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much, Brian. Thank you for letting us sprinkle some bacon bits into your brains. Want some more? Learn more about this podcast and our guest experts at baconpodcast.com. Have questions? Send them to askbrian at baconpodcast.com. Until next time, keep sizzling. And remember, it's all about the bacon. <laughs>